0: Here we are, right, end of missions month, trying to th- maybe find a way, okay, how do we put some of these tough things back together that we've heard, and how do we go forward? How do we, so what should we do now? Okay. We know what kind of people we need to be. We kind of know what we need to do, so let's, let's put them together. What do we need to do? And, and Cindy and I, was as we talked about, we thought no better example than what we find from the early church in, in the book of Acts. Um. So let's, for a moment... Let's, let's revisit Jerusalem, okay? Back to the very beginning of the book of Acts. After the resurrection of Jesus, before he returned to heaven, uh, his disciples were still pretty much clueless. Uh, Acts um, chapter 1, verse 6, they asked him, and they'd, uh, they'd all come together. This was right before Jesus returns to his Father in heaven. And so they asked him, they said, so Lord... So now, right, is when you're going to build your earthly kingdom. You died and you rose again. We are so thankful for that. So you're ready to build the kingdom now, right, here on earth? Yeah? We're on on board with that? But Jesus told him, no, that's not the plan, guys. And he told him in in verse 8 that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit came... They were going to be given power to do a great task. Jesus told them, he said, stay in Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. So that's what they did. All these with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter, he stood up among the brothers. And, and get this, sometimes we think it's just the, it's the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles against the world. Well, you know, Judas uh, killed himself. They replaced Judas with another uh, so that so we sometimes we think wow it's these twelve people against the world no there are about 120 of them they had some they there there were there was enough in their community to really encourage one another and really live a lot of these things out and then we're all at least somewhat familiar with what happens in Acts chapter two the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and Peter preaches boldly uh, people are gathered from all sorts of nationalities not not they weren't all Israelites who were there they weren't all Jerusalem citizens who were there they would come from all over the world. And they heard the disciples, the apostles, uh, let's make a quick distinction. Disciple is somebody who's a disciple of someone else, right? They're, they're being trained and disciplined to follow uh, a teacher or a rabbi, in this case, Jesus. But at this point, they've become apostles. They're the ones who are sent out by their master to go do his work in the world. So here, so here are these apostles. They're all speaking in different languages that none of them know. Uh, and all these people from around the world are understanding what's happening. They're drawn to it. People see this amazing sign and wonder. The Holy Spirit is like tongues of fire over the apostles' heads, and they're speaking in languages that everybody understands. So obviously, it's going to draw a crowd. Um, that happens a lot in the book of Acts. God's power draws crowds. God's power draws crowds, though, so that people might hear the message of Jesus. There's no... It's not, it's not just for show. The crowd is drawn so that they might hear Peter's bold message about Jesus. And that day, there were about 3,000 souls that were added to the church. This is a familiar passage for a lot of us. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. As I was reading through this, the great part about God's word is every time you read it, you pick up a little something new. And this is what I picked up, the way it's, the way it's phrased here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Wow, how, how, that's so spiritual. Right? Oh, but also the fellowship. So fun, right? So social at the same time. Oh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Well, yeah, you got to eat sometime. And prayers. They're linked, right? This community, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a bunch of 100% holy rollers who just, had, you know, oh, all we're going to do is. No, they enjoyed being with one another in the family of God. And I I like the way it's put there. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So they're communally enjoying the apostles' teaching and life together. And they're eating together and praying together. They didn't say, well, this is going to be spiritual and this is going to be social. It was all the same for them. Together they had all things in common. Selling everything that they had. It's radical to do that. Sell everything that we had and everybody shared. Nobody Nobody was without praising God, and they had favor with all the people. The outsiders looked at this at this movement. They were they were um, impressed. They'd never seen anything quite like this before. So we move on to Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they go up to the temple to pray. Almost broke into song, you know, a little kid's song. They met a lame man on the way. But I won't do that for you today. But they meet a lame man. It was... First time any of the apostles had ever healed anybody. This is the famous story where the, 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 the beggars, on there begging for alms. He sees Peter and John headed into the temple. He asks for alms. Uh, he's, he's probably asking like this, head down, hands up, and Peter and John, they stop, and they say, look at us. People have given this man money before, but probably nobody's ever said, hey, up here, look at us. So he breaks his posture of humility, and he looks up. At people who actually want to have a conversation with him. And that's when they tell him, we don't have any money. We don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have, we're going to give to you. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. This was the first time any of the apostles had ever healed anybody. They're, I mean, it's, they'd seen Jesus do it a lot, but can you imagine the, 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 uh, the trepidation they must have felt? Peter's probably, okay, I'm going to say this, and I really hope this works. I mean, really, you know, I mean, just think about how, think about how nervous you would be, right? If it, if, it was, if it was your turn to do that. That's the difference between Acts 1-6. So, Jesus, you're going to use your time for the kingdom now, right, here on earth? And then after the Holy Spirit comes, they were different people. They were changed. It was the first time any of them had ever healed anyone. And crowds gathered because they saw a sign and a wonder. And what happens when a crowd gathers? Because of signs and wonders, it was always God's intention that people would start telling other people about Jesus, so Peter and John, they're arrested. They're held overnight. Who knows what's going to happen to them? It's just a couple months after Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus told them, hey, you saw the way they treated me. They're going to treat you worse. Don't expect any better treatment just because you're my disciple. So they don't know. They're held overnight. Their religious rulers locked them up. But then, as from our scripture reading today into chapter 4, They asked Peter and John, so whose authority did you do this under? And they told him we did this under the authority of Jesus. Peter's so bold. He says, Jesus, who you killed, you know? So bold. But they saw that Peter and John, they're just common, uneducated people, but they saw that they had been with Jesus. So the rulers warned them, but Peter and John said, I'm sorry, we have to obey God rather than man. When they returned to the brothers and sisters, they rejoiced and they praised God. They prayed... Acts 4 23, it says the whole house was shaken. Can you imagine coming back from something like that? Meeting up with the brothers and sisters. They haven't seen Peter and all we know is Peter and John left yesterday to go pray in the temple. We haven't seen them since. So they come back the next day. They're excited and they rejoiced and they prayed, and the place shook. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to be bold and continued to teach. They went out again very same thing happened again another encounter this time instead of the uh, instead of the religious leaders just w- giving them a warning this time they gave them a warning and they beat them uh, and then they went back with the brothers and sisters again they rejoiced that they beat us we were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for jesus's name and they continued to teach and preach about jesus in people's homes and in the temple daily that's just a quick recap of what got us to this point where we are now in the book of acts Let's take a look at some characteristics uh, that the early church had and what we can learn from them. That's my
1: cue. Good. Good morning. What a privilege it is to stand here and talk about someone that I love so dearly. That's Jesus. Um <laughs> it is such a privilege, and I mean, who are we to stand here, talk to god 's sheep, tell you how much he loves, loves you and loves his church? Um, one of the first characteristics of this church is that they were dependent on the Holy Spirit, and we know at crossway that. The first sign of spirit dependency is prayer. You, I have heard it said before that if you look at a church's Sunday attendance, you can see or guess how much the pastor is welcomed or wanted. If you look at a church's prayer meeting attendance, you can see and guess how much Jesus is welcomed or wanted in that church. I, while I don't think that attending church should be based on our personal taste of what the pastor is like, and I don't necessarily think prayer attendance at a prayer meeting really shows people want Jesus. I think some people go to prayer meetings because they want Jesus to answer their prayers. But I do think there is a little truth to this statement. In our churches today, there is a lack of desperation in crying out to God. There's a focus on prayer requests based on personal needs, familial needs. Not that those are bad because we have needs. But there's a focus on that instead of God's plan for you and for others. When we think of prayer nowadays, we have walked so far away from the true intention of prayer that we've made it so simple. It's a God, FYI, Holy Spirit, customer service. This is not what I asked for. Can you change it for me? I venture to say that this is not how Jesus prayed. In Luke 11, 1, it said that now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is when he taught them the Lord's Prayer. You know, they never asked Jesus to teach them to preach or cast out demons. But he saw, they saw how Jesus prayed, and I bet it was something to watch. And they wanted to learn how to pray. And the two things stand out to me about how the disciples prayed and how Jesus prayed is that they prayed with their hearts. And then, you know, often said that Jesus withdrew to desolate, desolate places and pray. And you wonder, why does Jesus need to go away and pray? Isn't he God? Doesn't he know? Yes, he is fully human, so he needs to be with God. But he, why does he need to pray in a desolate place? Right? And I, I really think it's because he enjoys praying, because he loves God. And he loves being with God so much that he slipped away to God just like, Men, I don't want to make stereotypes, but men love to slip away to a ball game. (laughs) Some men love to slip away to the mall. Some women love to slip away to bake. Some women love to slip away to a ball game. Not this woman, but some women. But it reminds me of that verse in the Song of Solomon when when the poet said, Come away, my love, to the spice-laden mountain." He slipped away to God like a person who enjoys a ball game or a person who enjoys baking or a family that enjoys doing things together. But Jesus slipped away to pray because that's what he loved. For us, it is so sad that we often slip away not to pray, but to avoid prayer. And that the very God who gave us those pleasures of life, the families we love, is the one we do not love but love to be away from. But the disciples in the passage today saw Jesus pray, and they remember his teaching on prayer. And he said, when Jesus taught them to pray, he told them that they would always pray. And do not lose heart. Do you ever wonder why we do not like to pray? It's because our heart's not in it. You know, if your heart is in something, you really will stick it out. Your heart is in your wife your husband, your family, your career, your children, you are willing to withstand valleys, disappointments. Heck, you will even take abuse because your heart is in your family, is in your children, is in your careers. Now, those are not bad things, but I'm telling us today that when our heart is in prayer, we can withstand the dry spells and the low valleys of our spiritual lives. But the sad thing is, we don't. We think God should do all the work in prayer. And we just utter a few words. Do you guys see, along with me, how wrong that is? That we put all this hard work in things that will fade away. And when it comes to our relationship with with God, we barely give it 5% effort. Yet we expect God to show up when life doesn't go right. So, brothers and sisters, we have to say to God, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And we need to repent of this and return to him with our hearts in prayer. And we need to say, my heart is elsewhere, God. Have mercy. If you will yet teach me, God, how to pray and show me your face, I want you. I don't want joy. I don't want peace. I don't want people's esteems. I don't want to be understood. I don't even want converts or new Christians. I don't want a big church. I just want you. I guarantee you, your prayer life will change. The second thing I see is that they prayed with Surrender. You know that when John and Peter went back to the believers after they faced Caiaphas in the temple courts, they lifted their voice together to God, and they said, O Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs the wonders to perform through the name of your servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know they prayed Psalms 2, 1 and 2 when they were praying. Okay? They prayed Psalms 2, 1 and 2 in this passage. Okay, this is Psalms 2, 1 and 2. See, these people, when they prayed, they knew Scripture. Scripture guides our prayers. It's not a figment of our imagination or a form we copy from other people. When they prayed this, they remembered Psalm 2, verse 8, which is what? What is it? Let's read it together. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. When you know Bible like that you will pray for boldness. Because you look at verse 8, you say, well, they're going to be against Jesus, but all the nations are going to be Jesus' heritage and belonging. So what should we do in response to that? We need to be bold and speak God's name wherever we go. So their, their prayer is filled by Scripture. And another reason why we have really poor prayer lives is because when we pray, We don't want to pray according to God's will. So we don't know who we're talking to. We don't know what we're talking about. We don't know why are we still talking. Pretty soon, we're just going to stop talking. Might as well let other people do the talking. Who knows what we're talking about? Like the elders and Paul people, please pray for me. That's kind of how we resign our responsibility to prayer. But Prayer is connected to scripture, reading, and God's word. I do not know somebody who loves God's word who don't naturally pray. And I don't know one Christian who loves God who don't read God's word. So we need to examine, when we look at our prayer life, What is dry, we need to look at what is fueling our prayer life. Is it our own desires, our own wishes, good wishes, even non-Christians wishes those things, you know? To be responsible people, to be a good employee, to be a good parent, and loving, to have children who are responsible and loving. But what does God want? Do you know that? I wonder what are we struggling today that we're anxious about, that angst that's in you. And I want to say that are you anxious about finances, Then are you seeking what he's saying about money and learning the truth about money so you can pray? Are you worried about an illness? Do you know what he says about death and our earthly body so that you can pray? Do you have a conflict with a brother or sister? Search and meditate on what he says about church relationships and see how Jesus himself approached souls so you will see he never ignored them but engaged in hard questions and listened to them. Are you concerned about general happiness and a ninety-five percent worry-free life? Just search the scriptures, and you'll find that they answer real quick. That is not in there, so don't even try to go obtain, <laughs> obtain that. Are you, hopefully, through missions month, like me and many others? I have dreams, and I have hopes that they, the day will come when praises and songs will ring out from God's thriving, and beautiful church. In each remote corner and each weak heart, how I, I long for that. Maybe my grandchildren will see it, but I know somebody will see it. And I say, God please, God, please remind me that they will come and let me be a small part of that. Let me be faithful today. Now, you, what does faithfulness look like? That's when you pray, you got to say, God, I want to be faithful. But what does that look like for Cindy Lee today? It's going to look different for you. Only you would know. But that's the beautiful thing about prayer is when you come before God, not only do you get to know God, you feel known by God. And the scripture says those who God loves, he also knows. It's a beautiful thing to be known in your moment in that day as who you are and that will fuel your prayers. You have to know what your flesh is like. It is different from mine. But you got to know what it's like. Even though we all study, struggle with pride and anger, but you struggle with differently from me. And if you don't know how to pray, look around you. Ask for help from your community of people who you know have a good prayer life. And you say, pray with me. I am not sure about this. Search with me. I have failed on my own, and I am lost. Because it's that important. And that person, along with your, the spirit in you, will guide you guys to the scripture, and will search, and you will arrive in an answer.
0: So the... Uh- So we know they were dependent on the Holy Spirit. First sign of spirit dependence is what? Oh, it's on your bulletins, folks. First sign of spirit dependence is what? Prayer. Yeah, we didn't just make that up in the beginning of Crossway. We didn't thought, oh, this sounds good. Let's put it on a bulletin. That's where we got it from. The very first sign of spirit dependence is prayer, and that's what they lived out. The second characteristic that I want to point you to today They experienced tremendous joy and unity. They rejoiced, even in their suffering. We, we just read you about how they were so happy. They were, can you believe it? We were worthy to be beaten for Jesus' name. It's just, it's counterhuman that we would think that. In a way, their—let's go back here. Their suffering was—it was confirmation that they were doing the right thing and that they were going about it the right way. They didn't run to avoid suffering. Suffering was confirmation. Oh, what we did right there was the good thing because we suffered for it. Talked a lot about suffering this month. I'm starting to realize that suffering is something that's kind of tough for us to get practical about. Um, especially because the type of suffering that they did then, we, in this context, are not in any immediate danger of suffering the same thing. So what does it mean for us to suffer? Let's flesh this out just a bit. In our context, it's not that whole lot different than your context. Maybe it's heightened just a little bit. Suffering for you is the same thing as suffering for us. The first step on the road of a willingness to suffer, the very first steps on that road go by a couple names and one of them is interruptions and the second one is inconveniences are you willing to be interrupted are you willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the Lord uh, I know we really got to do this but you know we might we always do this other thing and you know well maybe in the fall maybe in the fall we could do that no because in the fall we got this other thing well I tell you what let me call you Do we live that way, or do we live where, yeah, you're my brother, you're my sister. Interrupt me all you want. Inconvenience me all you want. Everything in common. If you want to know how to suffer, just tell the Lord you're willing to suffer. He'll show you. But your first steps will be inconvenience and interruption. Suffering, So there's four things we're seeing here all the time, okay? Four in this picture. Massive prayer, suffering, signs and wonders, and people coming to the Lord. Those four things are always happening. They always happen together, and you never see just three of them. You always see all four of them in the book of Acts. Think about it that way. Think about them as a package deal. We're going to pray. God is going to move in big ways that draw attention to who Jesus is, so people are going to come to know Jesus, and we're going to suffer because of it. Are you going to go to jail? No. Will people come to know the Lord when we pray? when God moves and it draws attention to who Jesus is and people believe, here's where suffering is going to come in. If we're serious about this, we will grow. And we will grow not necessarily, and this is nothing wrong with this, not necessarily with people who've come from another church, but people who've never followed Jesus before. That's how we're going to grow. And when, that, when we grow, oh, well, we were pretty comfy in this room. Ah, oh, all right. If we get to expand this room, great. If we've got to carry speakers upstairs, all right. Well, that's the first step in the road to suffering, right? Interruption and inconvenience. Well, home groups were pretty set. That means somebody else is going to have to start hosting more often. Ah, I'll host occasionally. No, I'll host every now and then. No, first step is interruptions and inconveniences. When this happens, when people come to know the Lord and we grow, expect those to come and embrace them rejoice can you believe it we were counted worthy to be inconvenienced for the sake of jesus and i'm not making light of that that's real count it worthy that you were able to be interrupted and inconvenienced for the sake of jesus but back to this home group thing they often met in each other's homes and they loved it a lot of you have done a lot of hosting for home group men's group women's group you name it May you be blessed. May you rejoice that your brothers and sisters are glad to come into your welcoming home. What a joy. Can you imagine if this was the only contact right here we had with each other each week? We would be be strangers. They met all the time in each other's homes. They willingly shared and submitted for the common good. We talked about how they sold so many possessions and they gave to anybody who had need. This was radical. This was beyond radical. They sold their property and just laid the money at the apostles' feet and said, you guys do whatever you need to with this. Their needs meet them. It's beyond radical. They were people who knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one in heaven. And they submitted for the common good. The apostles will read about it. You read about it later. I'll let you read it on your own today. This afternoon would be, be good for you to do. Um, so when you go on to Acts chapter 6, Uh, the church is growing like crazy. Why? Because people are praying. People are willing to be willing to suffer, willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. God is moving through signs and wonders, and that draws attention to who Jesus is, and people are believing. So the church is expanding, and the apostles are so busy taking care of all these new people coming in that they need some help. So they go find seven faithful men, men who were probably qualified enough to teach and to do all these other things. But they said, instead of that, we, we need you to serve. And it's not the best job. Can you just make sure that, like, the food gets distributed right and just make sure that some of these, you know, administrative tasks get done? So what do these men say? Um, Did you see my resume? I didn't. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll gladly do it. Whatever it takes, I'll do it. One of them even had the honor of being the first one to die for the Lord, Stephen. When we're willing to say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll submit. The Lord honors us by letting us die for him. Think about Peter and John. Yeah, seven willing to serve. I jumped ahead of myself there. Think about Peter and John. Okay, Peter and John went to pray and met a lame man on the way. Okay, they weren't brothers. Why not Peter and Andrew? Or why not James and John? You know? Peter was maybe the oldest. He was kind of the leader. John was the youngest. What do they have in common? Nothing. Um... The whole whole dust up with Peter denies that he knows Jesus and flees right before Jesus dies. And Jesus hangs on the cross and he looks out and he sees John next to Mary. He says, son, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. That should have been Peter. Peter was the closest. But Peter was gone. But it was John. John stepped up. John was there. After Jesus rises from the dead, we read at the the end of the book of John, it's when Jesus restores Peter and reaffirms Peter, and then Peter again, he still doesn't get everything yet. He still goes, Hey, what about John? That's when Jesus has to say, Let me worry about John. You just worry about Peter. I want to take care of John. So they weren't a natural fit with one another. The morning of Jesus' resurrection, they race to the tomb together. John cleverly points out that he calls himself the disciple who loves jesus doesn't refer to himself and you know he doesn't say john in the gospel of john he said the disciple who loves jesus and he points out that he outran peter all the way to the tomb Um, (laughs) sliding that in there but so they're they're so they're starting to grow they're starting to learn together and when it's time to go to the temple to pray it's peter and john when it's time to suffer together it's peter and john They're in this jail cell. Maybe they could see the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus. Maybe it's the same facility where they whipped Jesus. I don't know. But they're there together, and they can't help but think about the last time that this situation came up. But they're there, and they're together. They were radically changed, and they experienced true joy and tremendous unity. How can we live that way? Peter and John were the odd couple. It's wonderful that they were the odd couple. They didn't fit naturally together. Who did? Nah, that doesn't happen here. You guys all fit naturally with one another, huh? There's never any like, well, I don't really know that person. I'm not sure if I totally do wanna know him. I- So just hypothetically, let's say you're a different church that doesn't have that issue. Um, I would recommend to that hypothetical church to get out and find your Peter and your John. Get out and find your odd couple partner and get to know. If it hits home for you, then do that. But that's the challenge for us. When we serve the Lord, um, you never know who you're going to work with and work alongside. Wade said long ago, there's nothing better than to do the Lord's work with your friends. And when it works like it works with us in the Harlands, it's great. Sometimes we never know who they're going to send out. You just get who you get, you know. But you can have tremendous unity if you have tremendous joy in Jesus. Final thing. Let Cindy do this. But they were bold in every opportunity. Why were they bold? Because they had been with Jesus. You want to talk to him about Peter?
1: Peter was someone who had been with Jesus at some key places, but abandoned Jesus at the most needed hour. So how can we say that he had been with Jesus? What was the difference that Caiaphas, the high priest and his elders observed in Peter that was not there before? And we can see this, that Peter has over time, by God's grace, has developed new values and grew in his character. One of the first changes we see in Peter is probably he embraced hardship. His value went from embracing ease To embracing hardship a lot of people think about Peter like this poor fisherman in a hut in Galilee and Jesus came by and said well you have nothing else better going for you why not follow me no Jesus Peter first of all he was a man who sought after teaching his brother Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist in John you can see that Andrew went and found Peter and brought Peter to Jesus. Peter was probably somebody who was also intellectually interested in knowing about things about the Messiah and about God. Okay? He had inherited a successful fishing business from his father. He actually hired servants to work for him. How many of you guys here have servants? He had a mother-in-law, so he's probably married. He probably had land and a big house, because when Jesus went to his house and ra- remember we did our quiet time, helped his mother-in-law come back from her fever, and they received many sick and ill people in Peter's home. He probably had land and house hard- large enough to fit a lot of people. He wasn't in living in a, in a tent on the beach. He had a lot to lose. He had a wife. I want to get to know his wife to release Peter like that, but he was somebody who was looking for the truth, but he was just a normal person, like you and I. He first met Jesus, and he always called him rabbi. And then you see Peter's transformation, because he goes from rabbi to master, and eventually he calls Jesus Lord, as he experienced Jesus. But he doesn't know what this Lord really means he has yet to find out he valued truth he valued knowing Jesus maybe he is the Messiah as he confessed but he also valued ease or maybe if you don't like that word you can say through Peter's life you could tell that you know he was he grew up in the King Herod's country King Herod was very successful At making the Jews and the Romans get along yet built his own lavish castles and then there was the Pharisees who were successful in making people becoming good Jews okay I wonder if Peter first followed Jesus with this idea of I want to be influential look at this guy doing all these miracles I, I want to be movers and shakers in the world okay remember when he was on top of the mountain when Jesus was transfigured he saw Jesus talk with who Moses and Elijah, who, who, imagine how Peter, I'm on top of the world. The four, the, my forefathers, whom I heard about, is right here talking to Jesus. And Jesus turned white. That's tremendous. He was on, and, he, and he said to Jesus, he said, this place is good. Let's stay here, and I'll build tents for you, right? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So he, he was like, let's stay up here. Just like all all of us, when we experience God, let's, let's, let's stay here. Let's not go down the hill where it's reality. Let's just stay up here. Okay? So he wanted that. And we all want that. But Jesus rebuked Peter when Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus predicted his own death, Jesus said, Lord, let it never be. No. Jesus said what? Get thee behind me, Satan, for you have the mind of what? Man and not of God. Like us, we have the mind of man and not of God. Peter was in the kingdom of the Herod and Pharisees. We are right now in America, we are in a kingdom of looking, seeking after success. Politically successful, financially successful, our children successful. Our profit of this age in America are our commercials and our TVs and what they're selling us. Just like back then, Herod was telling them, be a good Greek. Pharisees were selling them, be a good Jew. One of the most richest persons back then who had houses that the archaeologists uncovered was Caiaphas, the high priest. So Peter, when the testing time came, we all know what he did. He betrayed Jesus. And denied him three times. Now this is the trial that brought Peter to his own depravity. Because he thought so highly of himself. And that's the moment when the testing came. He wasn't much after all. Haven't we all faced times like that? When a trial or a test showed us who we really are? that we're much lower than we thought, hopefully that moment make us realize we need a savior because nothing man-made is going to do. But the mistake we make in this society is we come to Jesus with our intellects. We want to intellectualize him. We want to get him and, 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 and we want to interpret him and argue him and kind of make sense of him. But Jesus says that he is light, that he is the truth, he is the living water. All of those things you cannot intellectualize. You can only receive. You cannot intellectualize water or light. It is here. And we can only receive it. Just like none of you guys and me can be proud of the day that we were born. What's your most proudest accomplishment? You're not going to say, well, the day I was born, I had so much to do with that. Just like the, when you receive Jesus, you cannot be boastful and say, well, I, I figured it out. And you, we still can't try to figure God out right now. We can only receive. The nothingness that continues when Peter, after his friends, saw, when he went with John to the tomb and saw the empty tomb, he saw the Lord's new body when God appeared to them. And then, remember, he went back to Galilee, to the very sea that Jesus called him, and he went back to fishing all night just like when Jesus called him, but no fish, okay? And a lot of people say, why was he going fishing again? You know, and, and both said, I think it's because he was hungry. Well, I think that's true. Who, who, I don't know why he went, but he was fishing. He caught nothing. Jesus comes on shore, and Jesus makes breakfast for them, and then they come on shore, and Jesus asks him three times. Reading him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Remember, three times. I'm not going to go into the three times, but the last time when Jesus asked him, he said Peter was grieved, and Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That's very key. Number one, the first time Peter said, Lord, you know all things. Not, Lord, you know, but I also know some things. Second, you know that who? You know me, that I love you. We have to arrive at that point with our Jesus where we go, Lord, you know all things, but do you know me, and this heart loves you. And that's the moment, I think, that God kept on drawing Peter under his lordship. And this Peter, humble and bold, appears on the scene of Acts. A Couple weeks after Jesus was crucified, he comes again to the temple courts, and you all know he was arrested at night. In this very court, I think, when Caiaphas, the high priest, took him as prisoner, he probably put Peter near the vicinity of the court that Jesus was mocked and hit and slapped. Can you, this time, he was the one that's arrested. And he was in the temple courts. And I can just imagine Peter. What? God's love is so good that he allowed Peter, he reinstates Peter, and then he puts Peter in the very place where he denied Jesus. Can you imagine that night when Peter sat in the cold night and he saw the guards pass by and he remembered when he stood there and denied his Lord three times and he saw Jesus being cruelly beaten and this time he's sitting there. He's sitting there. But he wasn't beaten. If I was Peter, I would say, why not beat me? Why not slap me? But nobody did. Jesus is the one that got that treatment. And I can imagine Peter sitting there. And I can imagine hearing the first rooster crow. And then the second... And I can imagine Peter going, Hallelujah, the Lord enable me this time to withstand the test. And God gave him the chance to stand up and rise up where he fell, where he sinned. This time, he did something different. He was a man. He faced his responsibility, and he overcame. Now, if you and I have met with Jesus, You and I have great failings in our lives. When that comes again, are you and I able to overcome? If you're not able, you have not met this Jesus. You have not. Because you cannot help when you turn on the light. It flushes in, it's no longer dark. So when Jesus let Peter sit in that jail cell to go through that hardship, it was for Peter. Peter. So that he can look at himself with dignity and said, I was a man this time. I faced it, and with Lord the Lord's help I overcame. What a change and what a life. And brothers and sisters, don't you want to live like that? To be free from temptation from falling into sin, from the world's concern with life and health and wealth. Don't we want our children to live like that? If one day I die before Lauren and Mia, I want to know that I have raised my kids to not fear, not being tangled by the world or their opinions, not to choose careers based on money, but choose careers based on what they're good at, what they enjoy, not choose a husband based on social stability. I want them to choose... Knowing who they are, knowing who they need, and knowing that they need, look for character. And they need respect and love and dignity because they get that from Jesus and they will get that from their relationships with people and they will give it. I want to raise that kind of a child. I want to be that kind of an adult. The next morning when Jesus, when Peter faces Caiaphas again in the same court, same Caiaphas, lost, His headed straight to hell, but different, Peter. Different. This time he looked Hyphus in the eye and he said, Jesus whom you killed. I cannot stop speaking about him. And I don't I don't know. Peter might have he might think he may he may be crucified. I don't think he cared. I want to live like that. I want to go back to China and not be afraid of illnesses my children may incur of hardships we might get, because they will come. But I don't want to live with my tail between my legs. And I love that they said that Peter and John were perceived as common man. You know, my parents always raised me to be spectacular. But the truth is, we're all common. We all eat three meals a day. We all go to the bathroom. And we go to a buffet. We want to eat as much as we can so we get our money's worth. We're just common people, okay, with livers and hearts and all kinds of ailments. But Jesus is not looking for a group of super Christians. This is what a missionary is not, okay? We're not a group of super Christians who go to another place to do things to a needy group of people. It is not. It is not. It is living Christ's sacrificial love out in front of others with the right doctrine. It is not just water projects and ESL teaching and medical clinics. It is meeting a need while sacrificing ourselves. But faithfully teaching and reteaching God's word when people are open. The key is when people are open. Don't throw pearls at swine's. And it is the teaching of this word that washes God's body. And this is how the church will be cleansed. This is my last point, is, you know, I've never gained an appreciation for the faithful ministry of teaching God's word until I went to China when I began teaching God's word. And then I really experienced how much love and faithful work and how much spiritual battle your leaders go through on your behalf and my behalf. And the opportunity to open God's word. Where's my Bible? My Chinese. The opportunity to, to take this and open it. You know, when I, a house leader that I met, when he gave his Bible to a new believer. This, I've never seen this done before. And he said, this book I'm about to give you. It's not words on a page if you open it God's spirit is in here you cannot read this with your mind and your eyes you have to read this with your heart what a privilege to open God's word and the leaders here who lead Bible studies and small groups what a privilege you have this is a holy holy thing in your hands and you know what it's like for me It's like going to a wedding. I mean, how many of you will ask somebody who is not willing and irresponsible to be a groomsman or bridesmaid? Will you do that? No way. You will not. So will you ask somebody who is not willing and irresponsible to do a Bible study? No. It is a wedding ceremony. This, right now, is a holy ceremony. After this, there will be a feast upstairs. Home groups are weddings, ceremonies where God comes you take this lesson and you take this and you open it like you're preparing for a wedding. Nobody responsible or unwilling should be there because I guarantee you many will take their place to be a bridesmaid or groomsman because you get to stand up there with the wedding, the, the, the groom and the bride. What an honor because they also look at you, you know. They don't just look at the bride and groom. They also check out all the people there because they say, well, I wonder how they're related to the groom. Wow, they've been friends for 20 years. It's an honor to serve the Lord, to serve God's church, the bride. So don't ever look at it and say, oh, God, i got to do this. If you're not able, like I tell my Chinese, the Chinese Christians, I'm like, do you desire the gift of teaching? If you don't even desire that, there's no gift of teaching. It is like pulling teeth doing it. You're doing it alone on your own intellect, which is never how you're supposed to do God's work. Desire God's gift of teaching. Ask for it and and be teachable to it and see God use you to administer his holy, holy word. What a privilege. I'm not saying that spiritual gifts will make us super Christians or align us to God's will or anything, but I am saying that when you desire spiritual gifts, it is a sign of life.
0: Final final thing we noticed here. Why were they bold? It's because they had the right view of Jesus. Did they... Um, Peter wasn't bold because he uh, really sat down one day and thought about all the world's religious systems and thought, yeah, okay, this one makes the most sense. I think, yeah, we're going to go with this one. He had been with Jesus. When he's preaching, when he's telling these religious leaders, this Jesus who you crucified, he's mad. That was my friend. You killed him. But for whatever reason, he still loves you. He's bold because of He knew Jesus. He was with Jesus. Jesus was his friend. Wasn't his buddy-buddy. Let's draw that line. He wasn't, yeah, you know, no Jesus is my homeboy happening here. He's clear. He preaches it. He was God's anointed, raised from the dead. He is Lord. The man who knew him best on earth is Peter. Peter doesn't, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm 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 folksy with Jesus. We're familiar. No, he knew him and he loved him, but he still said he's been exalted to the right hand of God, that he's the only hope for salvation. How can we do this? How can we live this way? How can we be transformed the way Peter was? How can we have this right view of Jesus? We often get it backwards. We pursue intimacy with God, we pursue familiarity with God. But then when we start to get it, we draw near to the Lord, the Lord draws near to us, we sort of lose perspective when we start we stop remembering I'm, I'm talking to the Almighty Creator. Of heaven and Earth, and he's willing to talk to me. We forget that, and the closer we get, sometimes it's good to get close to the Lord, but sometimes we, start, we stop thinking he's the Almighty Creator, and we start thinking, this is a guy who could do things for me. There's some things I need. He, he could probably yeah, I could probably ask him for that. Good to know people in high places, right? And that's what happens stops being my Lord and he starts being my servant who can get the job done. He becomes a useful God. Somehow the translation in my mind flips and he belongs to me instead of I belong to him. He's at my beck and call for whatever I want. Not Peter. Peter didn't do that. Peter had the right view of Jesus. He was closer to Jesus than anybody who walked the earth in those three years, and right after. But he still says, "Nah, he's the Lord. Whatever he wants to do to me, wherever he wants to send me, Jesus told Peter, at the end of the book of John, he said, when, when you're old, there are going to be people who are going to take you places that you don't want to go. And scripture says, and that's in doing so, Jesus was telling Peter how he was going to die. Still my Lord. How do we do this? How do we live this way? How do we be... Dependent on the Holy Spirit. Oh God be people of, of much prayer. A lot of us say this. Heard it a lot. Prayer isn't just preparation for the work, it's the work. As you'll find out, some of you found out last Sunday afternoon, the rest of you will find out this afternoon is that God moves men's hearts through prayer. Let's be people of prayer. Am I suggesting more people turn out for Saturday, every other Saturday morning prayer meeting? Okay. Am I suggesting you start new ones? Yeah. In your homes. That's what I'm suggesting. Let's be people of tremendous unity and tremendous joy. We bear each other's burdens. We rejoice together. We weep together. How do you do that? You welcome the interruptions and the inconveniences. You know know what our biggest disease is? The good thing about the missions moment we did is it gives you a chance to let us know that we we do this too. The biggest disease that we have as a church, as God's people, is that our phone rings. We don't answer it. What do we do? We look at it. Who is it? That's what we do. Let's don't. Welcome the interruption. Welcome the inconvenience. Finally, let's be bold. I don't want you to be bold because you've intellectualized and rationalized your faith and you've synthesized it to the point that it's prepackaged and processed food. Enjoy the freshness and the flavor of our faith. Let's be bold because we've been with Jesus. Not our ideas of Jesus, but let's accept his ideas of us. When you don't agree with Scripture, the problem is you. Let's own that. As we get ready to go back in a couple of weeks, I just want to share this before we end. We'll be here next Sunday with you. Um, We don't have to preach or do a missions moment or anything. It's going to be great. Um, I'm excited and encouraged, um, not just because you welcome us and you support us and you, you pray for us and you feed us and you watch our kids. I'm thankful for all that. What excites me most is I see how you've grown. Continue that. Continue to grow. Do things together you never thought possible. Pray like you've never prayed before. Experience joy and unity together like you never have before. Let's be bold. Because we've been with Jesus. Okay?
1: And pray? All right, pray? Let's pray. Just as a sign of our surrender and gratefulness to the Lord, will you hold out both of your hands? Hold out both of your hands to Him. It's a sign of our posture of surrender as we pray together. Our precious, precious Jesus, there's no other name that can save but yours. Our precious, precious Jesus, there's no others beside you. Lord, we hold out our hands. We ask for your mercy on your children who are so wayward and so weak and so blinded by the world. We've forgotten who we are. But, Jesus, when we pray, like when you prayed in the garden, when we know, if we know that God is listening to us, the only prayer that comes out of our heart is, I surrender. I am pitiful, I am a pile of dust, and I surrender, and Jesus, will you look at us, will you just cast a glance our way, and let us know that you're looking at us, and let us know that there is yet hope. Jesus, we don't know how to love you. We don't love you enough, and we would never love you enough. But Jesus, we want to. Because with you, we know who we are. And we're not lost. And we can go about all the challenges of our day and of the world, rooted and grounded, and not frazzled and fragmented, and adopting different identities that are not ours, our identity is where you're a servant and you're a master. And Jesus, I pray for this body of believers. Thank you for the good works they have put forth and how they have, they have helped your work in this world, Help the people who, among the Zhuang to come and know you. They have been the hands and the feet, and they have given, they have gone, they have sacrificed, they have put down... Lord, bless them with growth in you. Bless them with life. Because their hearts are not made of things. Their heart is, is, is made of souls and there's a spirit inside. They need your spirit to fill it. They need your word. Father, let this community be yet a shining light to the lost world. I know they have been to me. I pray that they will continue to be Unite them so they can go forth in the world in one accord. Give them joy and give them strength and give them give them desires to desire things from you. We thank you for this morning and the precious time that we've had together. And Lord, when we see each other again, you know, three or five years later, Father, I look forward. singing hallelujah with my brothers and sisters because we have like Peter have stood on the ground where we failed and because of you we overcame we changed it's not just something we say and it's not just FYI but we truly have turned the corner and are different our families are experiencing it our communities are experiencing it. we're not just talking about it it's happening Lord, I want that to happen for them. I want that to happen for the Zhuang. No more dragging your feet. No more more weakness. Rise up and take the baton and live. Truly live. That's my cry of my heart, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. You never abandoned us. You never had us lack anything. But you've given us abundance. Forgive us changes This is in the name of the Holy Christ the Messiah the hope of the world that I pray